Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And let's talk about vaginas. Let's. Get ready, folks. This is going to be a very vaginal episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. Yeah, and there will be some things that might make you cringe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... We need to talk about it because uh, something called a designer vagina has been popping up in tabloidy news a lot more lately. That sounds like a vagina is a celebrity. Oh, There's a celebrity vagina that's been (laughs) popping up all over the news. She's been spotted (laughs) shoe shopping in Hollywood. Uh, No, designer vaginas are a a horrible name because it makes it sound kind of nice for labiaplasty and vaginoplasty, plastic surgeries, elective plastic surgeries, more often than not, that are becoming more common. And before we get any further, what are we even talking about? What is a vaginoplasty, Caroline? That is the removal of excess lining and tightening of surrounding tissue and muscles. And even, just even with that definition, calling it excess lining, do we even know what excess is? No. No. Yeah, well, there's a lot of basically cosmetic reasons, sexual reasons, mm-hmm. more, more than anything. Yeah, so a vaginoplasty essentially tightens the vagina. Yeah. Gets, a, gets those muscles, sews those muscles together even tighter. Sounds very painful. Then there's the labiaplasty, which is reshaping of the labia minora and sometimes the labia majora and or the clitoral hood, which is called a hoodectomy. And all of this that we're going to talk about is different from uh, getting the um, artificial hymen or having a hymenectomy of that tissue sewn across. Uh, That is another conversation we're sticking straight with the... Uh, rejuvenated vaginas, designer vaginas, all this new fancy marketing lingo for vaginoplasties and labiaplasties. And these can cost between $3,000 and $10,000, and they're often not covered by insurance because they're often not medically necessary. Right. It's usually performed as an outpatient surgery, takes less than two hours. And most of these surgeries are performed by OBGYNs rather than plastic surgeons, although there are certainly plastic surgeons getting involved. If you have one of these, you can expect a six to eight week recovery, during which time you cannot have sex or take baths or do any sort of like lower body workout, like squats. Yes. And the risks of labiaplasty and vaginoplasty include bleeding and infection, creation of a hole between the vagina and rectum, and also popped stitches. Caroline, you are... You are wincing. I'm wincing. <laughs> I'm wincing inside. Uh, yeah, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists uh, advises women to be informed about the lack of data on these procedures and their potential complications because there is a massive lack of research despite the recent surge in women seeking out these kinds of procedures because the history of vaginoplasties and labiaplasties for cosmetic reasons is relatively short. In 1971, we have the first paper published mentioning labiaplasty, but this time it's actually an enlargement, um, and that was published in the European Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And then in 1984, 
We have the paper Aesthetic Vaginal Labiaplasty, published in Plastic Reconstructive Surgery. But the terms labiaplasty and vaginoplasty don't really start entering the public consciousness until like the late 1990s. Right. A New York Times article from 2004 talks about how vaginoplasty, labiaplasty, these procedures were once reserved for fixing actual conditions such as incontinence, congenital malformations, or injuries related to childbirth. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of evidence. Although, you know what's interesting? There's not a lot of exact numbers. Yes. As far as these surgeries, because they're not necessarily coded through insurance, a lot of people have to pay up front since insurance doesn't cover a lot of them. But there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that demand has been growing rapidly. One doctor, Bernard Stern, was quoted as saying that four years after he began to focus exclusively on genital cosmetic surgery, he saw his business quadruple. Yeah, uh, there was an article about this, pretty detailed article, actually, uh, in Marie Claire magazine that came out in May of 2012. And uh, the author went to this convention uh, from the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery, and they cited that there was an increase of more than 50% in those surgeries in 2008. Um, also, the BBC reported in 2012 that in the UK, they'd experienced a 5 uh, fold increase in labiaplasty. And some doctors will even say that the, the numbers that we hear are on the low side. For instance, uh, in 2009, there were an estimated 53,332 quote unquote vaginal rejuvenation surgeries, which are a combination of vaginoplasties and labiaplasties performed in the United States. So what's up with the rise? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, obviously medical reasons, that one would want to undergo a procedure like labiaplasty, for instance. Like if you actually are physically uncomfortable with uh, with the way your labia are shaped. Yeah, and there and there are problems from that can arise with uh, injuries from childbirth, sure. incontinence, congenital issues that you mentioned before. But but this rise in the elective right. surgery. Yeah, well, with vaginoplasty in particular. Um, women who get it uh, could believe that their capacity to enjoy sex, for instance, is compromised by a loose vagina, which it could be the result of a congenital condition or childbirth. Um, labiaplasty, irritated, your labia are irritated by clothing or exercise. There is a warning, however, about having these procedures for sexual satisfaction. Basically, it, it may not help. Uh, Dr. Thomas Stovall, who's the president of the Society for Gynecologic Surgeons, says there's no scientific data really backing up that it could necessarily help to get a vaginoplasty, for instance, for sexual reasons. In fact, it could actually hurt if it becomes too tight, basically. Um, it could also lead to painful scarring or nerve damage, leading to either a loss of sensitivity or to uncomfortable hypersensitivity. But again, there is so little data on a long-term follow-up with these patients. And anecdotally, doctors will tell you that there is a low rate of complications. But what we are learning more about is why, you know, why people are seeking them. And there was a review of female genital cosmetic and plastic surgery published in 2011 in the International Society for Sexual Medicine's journal, and they found that 87% of the women who sought out some kind of vaginal rejuvenation surgery did it for aesthetic reasons, followed by 64% had discomfort in clothing. And that is when there are cases when the, the labia minora 
do irritate, like if they don't fit inside mm-hmm. underwear or if they, uh, often with bike riding, mm-hmm. women will report um, excess chafing, uh, that 26%, for instance, experience discomfort with exercising. 43% also reported entry dyspareunia, which is painful sexual intercourse. Yeah. Well, according to the British Journal of Medicine, 40% of women who inquired about genital reconstruction reported the desire to go through with it even after being informed that their labia were totally normal. Yeah, in the 2004 New York Times article that you referenced earlier, they talked to this yoga instructor who was going to get a labiaplasty, and she just said that the only reason she wanted to get it was because she had just seen women's vaginas in porn, which were, quote, tiny and dainty and symmetrical, and so she felt like her lopsided labia needed fixing. And I think it's also telling that the New York Times reported that many women who seek these kinds of surgeries also have gotten other types of elective plastic surgery. Yeah, Regina Lynn uh, wrote a column in Wired in January 2006 where she basically calls all of this, this trend in cosmetic unnecessary vaginal rejuvenation surgeries, narcissism. And she she scoffs at it. She says, think of the girls in Africa who are undergoing genital mutilation. And she says that, you know, it's this whole idea of ideal labia that's ridiculous and comes from porn. But I think I think it's maybe not just narcissism. I think there's a much bigger story there that there is a woman like that yoga teacher who looks at porn for her idea of what a normal body and a normal vagina and vulva is supposed to look like. Yeah, and 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 we don't know. I mean, I will say that there are certainly instances when there is physical discomfort caused by that. There was an exo Jane blogger who remained anonymous who wrote about getting labiaplasty surgery and she she said that ever since I was 11 or 12, my labia have been, how shall we put it, enormous, monstrous, excessive. Not only was this physically uncomfortable, it was unsightly. The first guy I had sex with actually commented Wow, you've got some big lips. Now, that is scarring mm-hmm. <laughs> emotionally. And she talks about how once she got the surgery, she finally felt some kind of self-confidence. Um, but there, there's still, though, that issue of not knowing, of, of, of a complete lack of information on, on what something should look like, what is normal. Whereas we've, we've come to accept, I think, that penises, for instance, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Yeah. And there are all sorts of, you know, nifty little jokes about uh, motions of the oceans and the size of the boat and all that. But when it comes to the vagina, there's porn and nothing else. Yeah, there's definitely uh, an underlying question about awareness and education and where people are getting their information or if they're getting any information at all. Uh, Melanie Berlier uh, for The Atlantic in April 2012, wrote that the dialogue on message boards about vaginal surgery shows obvious confusion among women about what they should or should not look like. And she said there's widespread pronouncements of self-loathing and embarrassment over genital appearance. So, I mean, you're you're not getting in sex ed or conversations or talks with mom about what your vagina should look like or if if things are uncomfortable or if you're just insecure there's there's a total lack of of a conversation there and vulvas are more exposed than they ever have been before right. because of the prevalence of 
shaving all of your pubic hair off, getting bikini waxes. And this is something that even the doctors who are performing these surgeries will attribute to the increased interest in vaginoplasties and labiaplasties because suddenly we are now seeing vulvas in all of their glory mm-hmm. and but whereas before with pubic hair if you know certain differences might not have been as pronounced and um it, and the thing is it's not just going in and having a, a little bit of you know something just a little something removed Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Barbie? Oh, my God. This is so horrifying. I told Kristen that my head exploded when I read this. Yes, um, this is actually in our notes. Caroline's head explodes. Yes. <laughs> um, this was coming from that Marie Claire article about the uh, vaginal rejuvenation conference. Um, the writer talks about one doctor who's presenting his slides at a conference and dubbed one slide the full Barbie, which featured no inner labia at all for a, wait for it, a refined look. Oh, refined. I, I would like to have a refined vagina. Like, does it, has it been to finishing school? My, my vagina went to cotillion and crosses her legs properly and holds mm. her pinky out when she drinks mm. tea. My goodness. She plays tennis too, as, as is expected because, uh, Kirsten O'Regan for Guernica Mag, uh, in January, or on January 16th of this year, she talks about its inventor, Dr. Red Alan Saad, and he told her about inventing the Barbie in 2005. He said, okay, so I'd been doing, you know, more conservative labiaplasties before now, but he kept getting patients who wanted almost all of it off. So he says, get ready, get ready, because no, you're, you're going to hear my brain just explode. He says, so I developed a procedure that would give them this comfortable, athletic, petite look Safely. And that is called the Barbie. Now, the thing is, though, I mean, yes, he's developing this surgery. And you could say, oh, you know, doctor, shame on you. But there is the part where people are coming in and requesting it. Mm-hmm. And O'Regan also talks to Dr. Gary Alter, who is sort of like the competitor the, for, for the Barbie. He does something called an alter labia contouring, in which he takes out tissue of the central segment of each labia menorah and sews them back together. And he also estimated, listen to this, that 20% of his surgeries are corrective from botched labiaplasties. So this means... That women are not only going to get one labiaplasty, no, they're going to get a labiaplasty, getting a botched job, and then going and seeking out another one. Uh, there was an, another woman profiled uh, who was talking about how she was very insecure about seeing her, you know, what her vulva looked like, and she first started and just got a Barbie, and then she got a hoodectomy, and it just, it's this, it becomes this slippery slope to where what what are we even what are we even wanting what yeah. is the ideal vulva that we are and where did that come from people can blame porn and we can blame uh brazilians and we can you know we can blame all of these things but it just seems to always go back to a lack of education and a fear mm-hmm. of you know, sexualizing women of us, you know, not wanting to look. Oh, there's that episode of Sex in the City where we find out that Charlotte's never looked at her vagina in right. a hand mirror and she goes home and it's like, oh, clutching her pearls and finally looks at her own labia. Right. 
And then probably got a full Barbie in another episode. Well, I think Dr. Laura Berman puts it well. She's the director of the Berman Center in Chicago for Female Sexual Dysfunction. She says a lot of it does go back to self-esteem issues. She says most women walk around with a feeling of anxiety about their genitals because women are not usually brought up feeling confident about that part of their body. She says these surgeries kind of play into that. They absolutely play into it. Um, And here's the thing. No wonder... We don't know what normal is because, A, you know, this is normal is also a relative term when we're talking about vaginas in the same way that we're talking about penises. You can do some averages and you can do some medians and such, uh, you know, all of that. But there is no such thing as, you know, perfectly normal uh, because there is a range. And there was a paper published in the International Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology in 2005 called Female Genital Appearance Normality Unfolds. Yeah. And the author talks about how there is a dearth of information or research on any kind of labial measurements or vaginal measurements. And she writes, in general, there are surprisingly few description of normal female genitalia in medical literature. In contrast, Measurements for male genitals are widely available and were published as early as 1899. And it's the same way that there's been so much research into male sexuality that we're just now starting to catch up with female sexuality. Same thing has happened with even just basic prescription drugs where Mm -hmm. they used to only be tested on men because women have periods. And that's not a stable test case. And then finally, we're catching up to that. And even just now in 2005, we're finally starting to look at vaginas. Can you tell how frustrated I am? I think I'm sweating a little bit. You've, you've got to worry about it because our uteruses do tend to float around our bodies <laughs> well, and make us crazy. This is true. Uh, but, to, but to offer, you know, for, for people with labia who are <laughs> listening, to offer a, an idea of the range of what normal is, labia can be anywhere from five millimeters to five centimeters yeah. long. That is quite a range. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've experienced the, you know, the like looking at my own vulva and say, well, is this, you know, well, I'm, uh, is that okay? Is this, is this fine? I love my vagina. I do too. We're buddies. Well, I love mine. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, I don't hate yours. You know, I'm just not. <laughs> You're not a vagina hater. Thank you. No. I appreciate it. No, I, I, I think. It's horrific reading all of these articles about women who are so, I mean, whatever their motivation is, whether they're uncomfortable, they have no self-esteem, some man has said something awful, or they've seen porn and now feel like they're huge and disgusting. I mean, I, it makes me so sad and it makes me want to hug and also shake all of these people. Well, it's, it also seems too like, uh, there is, it's more of a thing that is being perpetuated by Women, um, being, being scared perhaps or just being uneducated, it doesn't seem so much to be a thing of heterosexual dudes looking at porn and mm-hmm. then looking at their normal girlfriend and being like, you need to go get a full Barbie. Because in a lot of the articles that we read, the doctors will say, no, the husbands never say, all they want is for their wife to be happy. They, right. they could care less. And, um, there was even an interview with Mark Kearns, who was the senior direct, or senior editor, excuse me, with a trade magazine, Adult Video News, who said, quote, I really don't think most men care. You know, and someone, I, someone else made a point of like, it, if a dude is get, at least just like getting around a vagina, 
you know, then that's all, all, all other bets are, are off. That's not controlling for, you know, jerks every now and then. Or how about moms? There are mothers also bringing their daughters oh, yeah. into the doctor's office. This is also coming from that Guernica mag article. There was one plastic surgeon who said, quote, I get a lot of young women brought to me by their moms. It's always the moms who bring them in. I can't, I can't imagine, like, what, how I would feel as a young girl if my mother was like, something's wrong with your vagina, it's honey. It's shaming. Yeah, it's awful. You would never be able to recover. I mean, in the same way that that exo-jane blogger clearly, you know, will never forget someone, you know, the first guy to have, who has sex with her saying, whoa, and yet he still does it. Yeah. You know? Well, speaking of, of young women, um, in November 2012, researchers from University College Hospital London reported that more than 300 labiaplasties had been performed by the Britain's National Health Service on girls 14 and younger over the past, the previous six years. And the Daily Mail pounced and, 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 and other news sources in Britain pounced saying that these girls were having this designer vagina surgery and, and made a huge deal of it. But as the National Health Service points out, there's no evidence that the operations were performed for cosmetic reasons. Were some of them performed for cosmetic reasons? Maybe. Um, they looked, the researchers looked at 10 websites. Also, this is terrible, offering procedures. And found that the quality and quantity of clinical information was very poor and may be contributing to cultural stereotypes of an idealized vulva. The most disturbing finding, they point out, is that there's no lower age limit posted on the site. So if you are a young girl or a mother of a young girl and you think something is wrong with your vagina or vulva or your daughter's vulva, you you might just look at these websites and be like, hey, there's a there's an idea. And no one is going to tell you otherwise. Yeah. Because if you want to know what other people's vaginas look like, what do you turn to? Porn, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, clearly sex ed is not doing the job. Right. And clearly these doctors are not doing the job as well because uh, for the there were some women who went like undercover to some of these uh, vaginal rejuvenation doctors and went in for a consultation. And every time the doctors said, oh, you well, you're an average, you're an average looking patient, whatever makes you happy, if you want it, then sure, go ahead and get it. Yeah. Well, there is. I mean, there's one there's one website that I read about uh, called Show Us Your Vagina. It's over on Tumblr that encourages women to post anonymous photos and, quote, highlights the importance of sharing and openness in combating ba- body related shame. Yeah. And I had I, I will not be posting the link to that Tumblr because we, we cannot it's post really pictures. Safe for work. Yeah, we, we can't post pictures of vaginas on our social media. But I, I did talk to a girlfriend about that Tumblr and she said that she went over. She'd heard about it mm-hmm. and, and scrolled through it. And she said that it was literally mind altering. Hmm. Just to see Norma, because she was like, oh, the only other vulvas I'd ever seen were in pornography. And I assumed that I was, you know, just huge. Mm-hmm. And no, actually, once I look at what other women's vaginas look like, oh, oh, and they're, that, they're different. Oh, OK. It's kind of mind blowing. I mean, to think that that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it 
the responsibility of a blogger on Tumblr to to let you know you're normal. Because we don't think about it, because there's been no research, there's been right. no education, and women are taught to cover that up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to, to look at each other's vaginas. Yeah. Or look at our own. Well, obviously, I mean, because vaginas are dirty. Yeah. In the minds of so many people. Yeah. And one thing that we didn't add in talking about the, the whole vaginoplasty thing of tightening those muscles, doctors will also tell you that regular Kegel exercises are all the vaginoplasty that you need. Mm-hmm. And this is not, like we've said earlier, discounting actual medical conditions, such as injuries from childbirth, but for the average woman, no, none of it is necessary. And vaginal rejuvenation is nothing more than a marketing term right. to get more women in the door because it sounds nice, right? Reju- Who wouldn't want to rejuvenate a vagina? Just go get a facial. Yeah. Go get a massage. Put some of those cucumber slices on it. Give it yeah. some herbal tea. Be fine. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so peaceful. Well, yeah, I mean, there there is a concern that because of the lack of education and the lack of research that more and more women and young young women in particular are going to go get this surgery because they are insecure and all of a sudden you have all of these vulvas that look alike but how do we know that's even normal it, yeah just love your vagina love your vagina treat it treat it with respect mhm and and you know what i'm going to go ahead and say talk about your vagina yeah maybe women need to talk about their vaginas more often to other women yeah. So I feel like we bring up cervical mucus and speculums a lot. Yeah. So just keep the conversation going. <laughs> exactly. Talk about your labia. Yeah. How are your labia feeling today? Mine are great, thanks. <laughs> Mine are amazing. I love them. But this is one of this is one of those topics where I'm I'm I don't want to give an inch to it. Yeah. And say, Well, if it makes you feel better No, I mean no. Medical medical conditions are one thing. Yes. But cutting off your labia, your clitoral hood. And there, <laughs> yeah, and, and, even. <laughs> and, and, and doctors are not doing, uh, you know, pre-screening for any kind of body dysmorphia. Right. Because it's probably closely linked in a lot of these cases because of the fact that a lot of these patients will have already have sought out other kinds of cosmetic surgeries. Um, they're not looking into psychological issues that could be going mm-hmm. on, you know, basic self-confidence. You know, is it scary to be naked? Is it scary to look at your, you know, vagina sometimes and, and wonder what, you know, is it okay? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's normal to, to be insecure sometimes about, about what you look like without your clothes on, but the answer is not going under the knife. Right. And so. getting a cosmetic surgery that no one sees. Well, some, so to speak. People, yeah. yeah. An internal cosmetic surgery. Yes. So yet again, I'm gonna. I'll reclose things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really want to hear from listeners on this. Uh, what you think? Uh, what you've heard? Men? Uh, I, does it matter? Does the look of the labia matter? And has, has porn ruined women's vaginas? Is is the you know has it created this idealized vulva that um, is driving some women to the plastic surgeon. Let us know all of your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. But before we get to a couple of letters that you have sent our way. And Caroline, I figured since we were going to be talking all about vaginas mm-hmm. in this episode, we could read a couple of letters about going to the gynecologist. 
That sounds excellent. I met one here from Ashley who had a bit of an awkward experience. When I was 16 years old, my mom decided that it was time for me to start going to the gyno. What she didn't tell me was that the doctor I would be seeing was the same guy that had delivered me and she was scheduling back-to-back appointments for us. I was already terrified about someone getting all up in my vagina. So you can imagine my excitement when the doctor comes into the room, gets me into the stirrups, and informs me that I, quote, look just like my mother. This may have actually been the most uncomfortable moment of my life, especially when he continued on with the story of my birth. And needless to say, I did not ask him to clarify in what way I looked like my mother. I don't know what I would do. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I think. Well, I have one here from Kristen who uh, heard us talking about how your doctor should definitely not be slut-shaming you in the doctor's office. No way. And said, in college, I had unprotected sex with a guy I had been seeing for a while. I was on the pill and trusted my partner. A few days later, I started to notice a discharge very similar to something I've had before. BV, bacterial vaginosis. BV is not an STD, but an imbalance of the good and bad bacteria in the vagina. I decided to go to the doctor and make sure it was just another case of BV and get a prescription for it. My normal doctor was not available, so I saw a different gynecologist at the practice. When I explained the situation, she proceeded to act very irritated and lectured me on the many STDs it could possibly be before she even examined me. She concluded her lecture with, you know, we can't fix everything. A penis could look perfectly fine, but shed herpes skin cells on you during sex. Herpes is a virus. That means there is no cure. You will have that for the rest of your life. She then examined me and made and made comments like, this looks like gonorrhea to me. She told me it would take two days for the results. Five business days later, I had to call the office to ask if the results were in. I tested positive for BV, just like I originally thought. The test was negative for all STDs, including gonorrhea. Now, I'm not trying to claim that having unprotected sex is ever a smart idea, but by the age of 22, I knew the risks and definitely did not need an unwelcome lecture from a stranger. I never returned to the practice. So thank you, Kristen. And thanks to everyone who has written into momstuff at discovery.com. We love hearing from you. Keep your letters coming. Or you can message us over on Facebook as well and like us while you're at it. Or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast. You can also follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to know how vaginas work, you can read that very article written by Ms. Molly Edmonds over at our website. It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 